Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you guys may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And if you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Wherever you may be, we'd sure like to hear from you. Go ahead and give us a call. Our lines are wide open. Got plenty of time. And should you happen not to make the cut today or you have a question during the week or even after we go off the air at... 1101. You can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to pop up. Fill it out and hit the send button. There you go. Get right on over to us, and we'll get you an answer back. And we get a lot of interesting questions. And a lot of the content on the website has come from the the email email we received over the years. And occasionally, like today, we've got what I thought was an interesting email topic that we've talked about before, but not recently. Right. And Mr. Garner had a question about tires on his 08 Chevy pickup. Right. He's actually a tech himself uh-huh. and works in a in the industry. And he noticed that a lot of the four-wheel drive and the trucks with the big mud grips would come in with chopping chopped up, wear, chopped uh-huh. up tires. And he asked a lot of people in around him, some of the older guys, and nobody really seemed to have an answer they just said, well, that's just what they do is put another set of tires on it. Right. Well, yeah. he's smart enough to realize that, hey, if you just put another set of tires on it, it's just going to keep happening again unless exactly. you get to the root Find cause. It. So he was asking for our perspective on it, and I thought we'd talk just a little bit about that. And then I'd like to get into lighting on the newer vehicles. Okay. Lighting is one of those things that's really changed up. It has. It's come a long ways, and it's gotten a lot, of, lot more technical the way it works. But what he was saying is that the way the tires chop, and you can look at the truck you don't see anything worn out in the front end and the alignment is basically within specifications Mm -hmm. and what causes the chopping on these big mud grip tires particularly a block tread that's where the tread is in little square blocks right and those are usually pretty tall relative to a modern just regular tire yeah, a, a normal lot, tire tread depth maybe 10, 30 seconds of an inch deep. Right. These are 12 to 14. At, at, at least. least. Yeah, some of them look like More they're about that. three quarters of an inch. Right. And what happens is as that truck rolls, those blocks can squirm because mm-hmm. they're longer and they're made of rubber. The reason they're made that way is because that's very good for mud. Sure. If you have a mud grip tire, you want it to be good in mud. So you want a wide sipe groove so the mud can get in, and you want a big lug to dig into the mud, and it more or less paddles the truck through right, whatever it's going through. Now, if you've absolutely got to have that kind of tire, let's say you're a farmer and you're using this truck out in the fields. You, or a hunter. You, or a hunter. Off the road. Where you need that type of tire, then you have to get that type of tire. But you also have to know when you make a tire good for the mud, you're making it pretty poor for operation on concrete. Correct. It's just not going to run good on concrete because concrete's a flat surface. It's very hard and it's abrasive. So as these tires start to roll, the tread tends to squirm. And as it squirms, it's going to wear it at an angle. It cuts it off at an angle. And that's what produces the chopping. Now, what can you do to make that better? We've had pretty fair luck with cross-rotating the tires. Right, which means taking the front two tires because they are on the front. They're turning the same as the back. But they also turn directionally. Right, they're, they're on the steering. Front. They're steering tires. And if you'll take the front tires and cross them to the back, so they're actually turning right. backwards were, on the back. There's left front would go to right rear, right front to left rear, then the rears would go straight forward. Correct. And I know someone's going to say, well, you're not supposed to cross rail tires. Well, that's kind of an old, that's an old, yeah, old that, that was never really true. 
and in most cases they recommend it now. But if you cross rotate your tires very frequently, probably in between three and five thousand miles, as opposed to six to ten thousand miles on normal tires, it tends to help with that some. Another thing, if you can be judicious when you're on concrete, the way you steer, and when you're going around a corner, if you'll slow down, that's going to help a lot. That will. Because if you turn that corner like you will with a normal tire, you got to remember those treads are going to comply to the road because they're stuck to that concrete, and it's going to chop them up a lot more so than, than it would if you went slower. Same thing with accelerating and braking. Especially on a diesel. The yes. newer diesels have a lot of torque, and I've actually seen a street tire – chopped up on the back yeah. because of acceleration right it's so much torque the tires actually slipping a little bit as you're accelerating mm-hmm. and you know that will definitely make it worse another thing is make sure you do keep the alignment set because if it gets out just a very slight amount an amount that probably wouldn't show up on a regular tire it may cause it will show a up on a, a heavy on a big grip mud, mud grip last thing is if you've got the proper wheels and tires designed for the car if you want to put a much larger tire and then you put a larger wheel with a different offset, that's going to make it exponentially worse. So, you know, if the offset of the wheel is perfectly right, you're driving it in a judicious way when you're on concrete and you keep the alignment perfectly set, you cross rotate frequently, you can control that problem. You I don't know if you're going to get completely away from it. It's just kind of it's just the way it is. It's the, the way, way it's going to be. Right. The tire wasn't made to run on concrete, it was made to run in mud. I guess another thing is if you are, let's say, a hunter and you only get to hunt a couple times, a couple months a year. Yeah, you might want to consider having two different sets of tires. I know a lot of the, the Jeep guys have two sets of tires. They've got a set of tires for the street, and then they've got a set of tires when they go off road. Right. That's another way. Now the problem with that is if you don't wear them fast enough, they're going to get old on you. Right. And every six years you got to throw them away, so it can get pretty expensive. But I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Well, and, and the newer vehicles have the tire monitors in them, so you either got to get a set of rims with the tire monitors in both sets of rims, right? And relearn them every time you rotate, or put up with the tire light on when you have the the odd tires on the vehicle. Correct. And we advise a lot of customers against buying those type of tires because. Some people just think they look cool, mm-hmm. and they may look cool, and you may be going for a certain effect. That's great, but you got to know you're going to have tire wear. Right, it's going to chop the tires uneven. You're going to be into a lot more maintenance on the car. I mean, that's what you got to have. That's what you got to have. Life's too short. You know, go ahead and do what you want. I'm just telling you, if you just want to put them on there just because they're cool, I mean, you could do a lot better with a street tire sure. or more of a street, less aggressive. The less aggressive the tread, the less the problem this is, is right. going to be. So, anyway, just kind of a word to the wise. I know we get a lot of folks who come in, they'll ask for those, and when we explain the problem, they'll agree that, well, yeah, I'm in the mud 1% of the time, and I'm on the concrete 99% of the time. Exactly. So it really doesn't make too, too much sense to buy a tire optimized to do something that I'm not going to do very often. Sure. So, anyway, just a word to the wise. <laughs> I thought it was a good question. <laughs> it's a real good question. Yeah, I like folks in the industry, I like hearing about folks in the industry who think, like that mm-hmm. deeper- instead of just taking word for what's going on and let's dig a little deeper and find out what's actually going on oh, yeah here. it's it's a more intelligent way of dealing with things rather than treating the symptoms yeah let's look for causes right and that's the way it should be and you know i guess at one time the automotive business was pretty simple and that's where a lot of the things came from if you were a blacksmith and then cars came along and you start working on cars what you do is you'd walk out, you'd look at the car, you tell the guy what was wrong with it, and you say, well, go ahead and fix it. Mm-hmm. 
And they were so simple you could do that at that time. Sure. Well, nowadays you cannot do that. No, cars have gotten so technical until it takes a especially highly trained technician to even work on them. Right, just to figure out what's wrong with it, much less fixing it. And it's not unusual to take three to five to ten times longer to figure out what the problem is. Than to, rep- than to fix it. Than to fix it, yeah. Sure. Particularly would say electrical problems. Oh, electrical problems are sometimes a nightmare. I mean, you may have a shorted wire that would take 30 seconds to fix to take and retake the insulation on put it back together but it may take you five hours to locate it and that kind of falls into our next topic which was with lighting today it's just not anything like the old it used to be yeah it was it was a set of wires they came the, the power went through the switch to the bulb well there was a switch and that was it always a switch right now many times there's not a switch at all all right it's just a command a sensor of some sort sending a signal to something else which grounds an scr which fires the lights off and we see that a lot one common issue we get called it we'll get people say well my inside door light was not coming on when i opened the door so i looked for the little plunger switch and i couldn't find it well those little plunger switches in the door jam are gone they have been They'd, gone for a while. <laughs> sure they have. The manufacturers have actually moved the switch into the door lock assembly mm-hmm. because one thing for them, it's easier to install. You've got one set of wires that goes into the door. When they plug it into that switch, they get the switch, they get the lock, and they get the computer computer command. Well, and not only that, but that switch or sensor, more, more to the point nowadays, is more of a sensor than a switch. It does more than one thing. It does way, way more than just turn that light on when you open the door. It also tells the car that, hey, the driver's leaving the vehicle, the driver's entering the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So all the security system is run through it. It does a lot of other things. It hooks up to all kinds of things. And that's why when you close your door now, lights may stay on for a period of time. Then they'll kind of opera down, real, which is a cool feature. But all that stuff requires computer technology to do. Sure. And computers don't work with analog switches. They work with sensors. So in many cases, the sensor in the door it may be a hall effect sensor it may have some type of a magnet passed in front of which tells the car okay the door is open the door is closed and for instance if you you turn the vehicle let's say you turn the vehicle off off, the radio is still playing right radio is going to play for so many minutes and then it's going to automatically turn off it knows you're still in the car unless you open the door when you open the car door it's going to assume okay he's leaving the car now so let's turn all the interior all that goes off but more to the point when you lock the car it's also going to arm the security system. The security system, because it knows you're out in the car. Exactly. We want to arm the security system. Hey, we'll talk a lot more about this and everything else as soon as we get back from our first little break. Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Give us a call. It's 291-6901. Sure appreciate hearing from you. Appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. There you go. And we were talking uh, about lighting when we went to our first some, little break. Some of the more advanced lighting things that they're putting on cars. Uh-huh. And, of course, like always, we'll take a call on any topic. Never limited to the topic we may be discussing. Anything may happen to be bugging you, just give us a call. We'll I'll get, help you out. There you go. We'll get your answer. You had mentioned about the feature where you open the door and the lights go off, the radio goes off and all that. And one of two things comes to my mind. One is when that switch or sensor, sensor. doesn't show the door opening right. to the computer, then it can keep the radio playing. Or leave the light on. Yeah. It can diminish the life of your battery. Sure. And a lot of times we get that complaint. My battery keeps not going dead necessarily, but it has a very short life. And you'll find something like that is actually a door lock sensor. Another thing, you may come to your car and reach over, grab the handle, and the car is not locked, even though you locked it. Mm-hmm. That can cause that kind of thing. You may open the door with the remote or with a key, and the alarm may go off. We see that quite often. Yeah, could even keep the car from starting under certain conditions. If it thinks the car, if it assumes the car is being stolen, there's it doesn't see the door open, but then it sees activity inside the car. Just assume somebody has broke the window and is now in the car. Or you unlock the door and it thinks the door is still locked. Correct. So it sees the door open. It see, it assumes that a hey, somebody's trying to steal a car. So the security system is, goes armed. And a lot of times, like you were saying, it will not run. It may crank and die. It will not run very long. Or trying to think what else comes to mind when the security system arms. Well, obviously the horn, the horn goes off. The lights start flashing and all that. But it can do any number of things just depending on what kind of vehicle it's like almost everything today. You can't say what anything's going to do because everyone is so Did, so different. Between, yeah, totally different. The features they've put into them and whatever's programmed into that specific car. Exactly. All sorts of things. But the point is, what used to be at a very, very, very simple system to diagnose is now a very complex system to diagnose because if you don't have a scan tool that's capable of bi-directional communication with this vehicle. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got a generic OBD2 reader tool type thing. Well, it can't get into these modules. Well, and the thing about it is you need to check all the modules in the vehicle when you start checking one, Mm -hmm. not just certain modules. Because the way these lighting systems are working now, they go through several of the different modules in Mm -hmm. the vehicle. There's the lighting module. It goes through the body control module. Uh, That's just to name a few. And if there's a code, let's say, in the body module that you cannot access, but there's a code somewhere else, you need to be able to access that because that could keep that component from working. Well, yeah, quite frequently that does occur, especially with anything modern is on a CAN network, which means one wire is conducting all these signals. And when one module goes down, it can shut other modules down. Sure, it could take the bus down. Well, a good example would be a Corvette we had in the shop, and his windows would not go up and down. I think his power seats would not work. The ABS light was on. His mm-hmm. dash was going out. And it was all a little module inside the door. Correct. That the feature that it provided is not something he would even notice. So he never even noticed that that wasn't working because it wasn't something he used all the time. Uh And he was ready to change the body control module because of all this stuff because body control module was not working. But that was not the problem. It was this other little module in the door had gone out taking the network down. So all the computers on the network ceased to function. Correct. And obviously the functions out of the body module are far more noticeable. So, you know, he'd go on the Internet and somebody says, yeah, the body modules. Well, thank goodness he brought it to us before he did that. 
and we found the module. And luck as luck would have it, they had the module in stock. However, the wiring harness had gotten corroded. Uh-huh. And, of course, with GM on strike right now, I'm not right. sure if they ever got that harness. I know the car has been there a couple of weeks. I believe the car is still there. Yeah, may very so well be. I don't think we got the harness yet for it. We may have to end up trying to make up a harness or, or something sure. else because with GM being on strike right now, you don't think about it. The parts are getting normal. scarce. Yeah, it's getting hard to get certain parts if they're not in a distribution center or a dealership. Right. You don't know when you're getting them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's that's starting to really become a problem. The point is, it's gotten to the point where you just cannot guess at this stuff. No, no, and not at all. a lot of times people will ask me, well, what can I check? Well, there's just very little you can check because this is all Class 2 serial data going over a network. There's no way to go in with a voltmeter. There's no way to go in with an ohmmeter and any tools that the average person would have and test this kind of stuff well and all your old lighting used to be incandescent bulbs right they were easy to check well today's bulbs are not necessarily incandescent anymore well, mo- the majority of them are going to be led leds H- hids xeons there's all kinds of different bulbs out there now and there's certain ways you have to check them depending on what kind of bulb you're, you're trying to check so mm-hmm. first off you need to know what you're trying to check right to be able to check it correct some of your lighting in your doors that kind of fade the opera fades in right. and out and stuff those have to be checked in capacitance not necessarily just does it make a resistance right. across it or positive or negative you have to be able to actually check the capacitance of this system you've got to know how many leds are on the system so you get the right whatever reading you get you have to know how many leds you're actually checking right because the reading could be wrong if you're not checking the correct amount of leds well and that's the way the bulb monitoring systems work they're sending a signal out. They're looking for a certain capacitance to come back. Correct. If it is less or more, they're going to assume you have a problem in the lighting system. That's Put that, a warning light out on your dash. That's how you get the warning lights. Now, now that if, doesn't mean necessarily a bulb is burned out. Well, it doesn't. But the thing is, if somebody went in there and put the wrong bulb in, right? well, now the capacitance has changed. The monitor sees it, doesn't understand, hey, this is the wrong capacitance back here. The bulb must be out. It'll mm-hmm. turn the light on, right. but the bulb still works. Right. And the message is displayed. Mm-hmm. So it takes, like I said, it takes some knowledge of the circuit you're trying to check to be able to go in and verify what's going on with this vehicle. And like you were saying earlier, just because the tail light is out in the back doesn't necessarily mean the bulb is bad. Right. But the bulb is the easiest thing to check. So first thing you do is you go in, you check the bulb. Then you check power and ground to see if you have a signal to the back. If you don't have a signal, then you have to start marking your way back up the system and what most people thought that the next part up the system was the brake light switch. Well, not necessarily not necessarily. Anymore. I've seen on the Ford trucks, the body control module actually controls the taillight. The brake switch turns the signal to the body control module. The body control module sends a signal to the taillight. And we actually had one the other day. The body module was bad, which is the fuse block mm-hmm. and body module of that vehicle. All, all integrated. So to change it, it actually had to be reprogrammed. It was a big deal just to get the taillight to work again. Yeah, we see that a lot on Chrysler products where one of the headlights will go out. Well, obviously, the easiest thing, they check the bulb. Bulb's and good. It's good. Right. They'll take the two bulbs, cross them side to side, and the same bulb does not work. So they know it's probably not going to be a bulb. Next thing they want to do is check fuses and all that. Mm-hmm. But what's happening, again, there's a totally integrated power control module, which, again, is part of the fuse box assembly. Correct. And it has 
SCRs built into it, silicon control rectifiers, rather than the old relays like we used to have. The mechanical relays. This is an electrical-type relay. Well, you know, these old mechanical relays cost 5 to $10 each and never went out, really. Not really, of. not not unless you got to had something drawn a, a lot of amperage on that right. circuit would burn one up, but but for then the you most part plugged another one in and kept going. Yeah, nowadays you got the totally integrated power control module, which is probably thirteen hundred dollars. Oh, at least to do exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, and there are some cases where you can get around the module and put a mechanical relay in a circuit. Sometimes it's not always feasible, not always possible, but sometimes we are able to do that. But we had a guy come in, one headlight's out. We right. found out it was, well, can't we just run a wire from one headlight to the other? Well, no, you can't. It causes all kind of problems. It does. It's two separate circuits, and it's got to remain two separate circuits. And so with his, fortunately, we were able to go in, cut the wires at the tip of module, and put a mechanical relay where it could take the signal, turn it into an analog signal, ground the relay, and, and fire send it, it to off. the light. So for about... Fifty, sixty, a hundred dollars. We were able to replace, get, get around working. Right. That would have been probably a fifteen, sixteen hundred dollar repair. Otherwise, exactly. Now that kind of thing is not always possible. Sometimes no, it, it will create other issues. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. In the process that it, this certain vehicle you were talking about, actually, somebody had been in, been working on it. They didn't understand the system, mm-hmm. and they had actually shorted the wires out going to that headlight, and took that little SCR out of the circuit board in the module. They had backfed it or something and caused it to go bad. And what we, like you said, what we found was we had, took the module out, turned it over, and the plug that went on the back of the module had been also broken. So that had to be repaired. So it was a big deal to get this headlight working. You wouldn't think, you know, just a headlight. Yeah, you wouldn't think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines. We got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, guys. How are we doing today? Doing We're great, doing wonderful. Hey, you know, Lewis, you've talked about this before, bud. You've said when you start changing things on a car, you get into all sorts of unknown variables. That's a fact. And <laughs> so here's the situation. So I have my uh, 2008 Audi A4, mm-hmm. and I decided whenever we did the new control arms, uppers and lowers, let's just go ahead and change the suspension while we're there as well. 160, 170,000 miles. It was okay. getting, you know, it was due for a refresh. So I put new bill signs on all the way around, brand new, you know, a quality part. Seems the part that I got was not cheap, but it seems to be a good part. Everything works fine. But when the alignment was done, I think, personally, I think they went and did what you guys said. You know, well, it's in the green. It's good. Right. But it's sitting an inch and a quarter lower now than it did stock. And Hmm. that change in, because that's what the suspension is. And I know that that change in height can really throw off the alignment if you don't correct for that. Yes. And what I've found with it being an all-wheel drive car, it is eating down to the ribs, the insides of the front wheels. Right. And I'm getting new tires, uh, new rims, or uh, new tires and an alignment done next week. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to figure out, that would not be toe, would it? That would make amber issues? More likely camber as the car lowered. If you drop the car an inch and a quarter, your camber's probably rolled in a good deal. So now all the weight's sitting on the inside of the tread. Now, it could be a mm-hmm. combination of toe and camber as well. But a lot of times, sure. if camber is not adjustable, not readily adjustable on a car, some shops won't even check it. They say, well, yeah. it's not adjustable. You're supposed to bother checking it, which I think is foolish because at very mm-hmm. least it tells you it's a diagnostic procedure. It tells you, hey, we've got a problem here. We have to look for a solution. 
some cases you may have to go to an aftermarket component to get the camber back, you know, to provide an adjustment because it was designed to run at a certain height. When you lower it, it drops in. You may have to have something else sure. add it to go in and, and correct for that. But most sure. likely they set the toe front and rear and gave it back to you and called that alignment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll tell you, buddy, you can, I can tell you've done this before because they, uh, <laughs> that's exactly what they told me this morning. I called a local tire shop, uh-huh. my name, but a local tire shop. And they said, hey, he said, I just got to be honest with you up front. He said, we can do an alignment, but the Audi requires tooling for the camber that we don't have. Yeah. And he said, in that case, you might be better off just going with the dealership because at least they're going to be able to adjust that. Yeah, and I would uh, make sure the dealership can do it right. because just because it's a dealership doesn't mean they have the right stuff or know what they're doing. That's true. That's true. Well, I just figured like. I'm always looking for a reason to call you guys. It's not like a good reason. I know you don't work on European vehicles, but, man, I tell you, your knowledge is, uh, I, I just love picking y'all's brains. So I really appreciate it. Hopefully you guys are staying warm this morning because it's a little cold here in West Virginia. Yeah, but. not too, too bad here. No, it's actually uh, nice. Actually, it's very, very nice. It's in the 60s, which yeah. is very, very pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's, uh, it's about forty five here right wow. now. Wow, yeah, I'm, cool. I'm ready. For, I'm ready for that. <laughs> it was thirty in Maryland this morning. Wow. Well, guys, thank you so much. I sure appreciate your time, and yeah, I look forward to listening to you while I'm on the road truck driving. I love listening to your shows. Well, well thank you. you. I appreciate the call, man. All right, take care. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye bye. I take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind your life, do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Now I'm noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. Hey, welcome back. If you're just joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We were discussing a little bit about some of the new advanced lighting systems that are on cars and some of the problems it can, can bring cause. about as far as diagnosing sure. issues with it. Of course, we'll take a call on any topic you may have. Just give us a call and never limit it to whatever we're talking about. That's correct. And we were talking about the different headlights and the modules and all that. One thing, you've got to be sure that you get the right bulb back in the car. Most and definitely. It may be less expensive for you in many cases to go back to the OEM bulb if you get an aftermarket bulb, you have to make absolutely sure it's completely equivalent to the OEM bulb. Because if it's off a bit, number one, your bulb monitoring system light may come on. But more importantly, if you decide, well, I'm going to go pull a set of these nice new brighter right, headlights, right. well, you may end up burning out a $1,500 module because it's not designed for that amperage to be drawn through the system. Correct. We see that quite a bit, particularly animal pick on young people for no reason other than that's what we see it most they'll say well i'm gonna go put a set of these new real bright bright yeah. super bright headlights on my car and 
if you're lucky, it just burns up the, the headlight the socket. And right. You go ahead and put a new socket. But if you're not lucky, it may burn up the module that's firing all that stuff. We had one that came in that actually melted the the headlight assembly itself. Mm-hmm. It, it melted the bulb. The, yeah, because it, the it lens. produces more heat, too. More light is generally more heat. And that's a plastic lens. Yeah. So... Heat and plastic, you know how that out, that come that outcome that, comes out. Usually, the usually <laughs> heat's gonna win. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> but they dream up new and stuff. I guess to sell cars. Sure, uh, it's got this feature, it's got that feature, and just a few of the things. Right, about. the 19 Silverado has automatic high beam assist. Okay, and the acronym for that is AHBA. Okay, now that is on the GM model. Right. Well, Ford probably has the same thing, but it's a different acronym. They have a whole different. Right. You have to go into the glossary for the manufacturer and look up the acronyms to see what they pertain to. What they meant by this. Sure. But <laughs> now, this, what does that do? This particular system, it will, if you leave the headlight switch on automatic, which most of the newer vehicles have the automatic setting. Correct. It will dim the high beams when you're on the highway if an oncoming vehicle is, when it gets close enough, it dims your headlights automatically rather for you. Rather than you flipping the little rather, switch yourself. Rather than you having to do it yourself. Now, in order to accomplish this. Well, that is the thing. <laughs> using the front camera assembly that's on the front bumpers now, they're using that camera module to look for these lights. Now, not only does it look for headlights, but it also looks for tail lights, so you don't come up behind somebody with your high beams on. Mm-hmm. Now, all this is predicated that the vehicle is going over 25 miles an hour. Okay. Anything under 25 miles an hour, the system's not going to work. It's going to be turned off automatically. So if you say, hey, my headlight dimming doesn't work, it's just it doesn't it's, operate below 25 miles an hour. Correct. So you may be looking for a problem that that's doesn't not exist. there. That, yeah. That's and, and now we, what's really weird is Ford may make it at 15 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour. Sure. So there's not like a standard you can compare it to where you can learn. Well, all cars do this. No, everyone's a little different. That that <laughs> has gone by the wayside. Not all cars are the same. Yeah. I mean, even cars from the same manufacturer do two different things. Right. So. You just have to learn how that particular vehicle yeah. operates. One is perfectly normal for the design, and the other one is a problem. Sure. And so it's hard to even know what is a problem in many cases. Exactly. That's just the, the 19 Silverado. It actually has a green light on the dashboard when the system is operating. Mm-hmm. So that little green light on the dash, as long as it's on and the vehicle's above 25 miles an hour, this system's going to work like it was supposed to. And it is kind of cool that the lights can dim themselves. Of course, how big a deal was it just to, to reach over? There and, yeah. yeah. Well, well, now now I can remember when it was on the floor. Yeah. You know, you push right, the dimmer little, button on the floor. Absolutely. Well, and you get in a minor collision now, and you bend the front bumper, but it takes out these two forward-facing cameras, and because they're shorted out, it knocks out the lighting control computer. Or and you just took a. $20 repair that you could probably live with, a little dent in your front bumper, now you turn it into probably a $4,000 repair. Exactly. And that being that system, worse yet, if it doesn't get damaged, if it doesn't fail, let's just say you bent the bumper. Mm-hmm. Well, now the cameras are not pointing straight ahead anymore. That's right. So now the system quits working. Right. And and not only that system, but the parking system, any of the camera system, the park assist, all that depends on these cameras. Right. And possibly even affect the lane departure system. Very possibly. I heard a story the other day I want to pass on. I forget what kind of vehicle it was, but it had the forward-pointing cameras mm-hmm. for the cruise control and the lane assist right. and all that. Well, it got damaged in the front. It was an accident. Mm-hmm. They took it to the body shop. The body shop fixed it, put it all back together, and give it back to the customer. Well, now this vehicle, when you're driving down the interstate and you go under an underpass, it slams on the brakes. Hmm. And it took them about two months to figure out what was going on with this vehicle. 
But what it was is all the cameras were working, but they weren't pointed in the right direction. Okay. So when you went under an underpass, it saw the shadow, the, the shadow of the underpass, or it actually saw the structure of the underpass. Right. Thought it was coming up on a vehicle. So it okay. slammed on the brakes yeah. going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> so as soon as you cleared the other side, it, it brakes cleared, up. cleared up and, and it drove yeah, fine. So it was close enough to work, but just not. Wasn't aimed correctly. Yeah. And that in itself is a big, big deal now. Well, not only do you have all the components to worry about, but you do have to. We run across that a lot on front end alignments where they've got this lane departure and all. And the procedure, if you change the thrust angle of the car considerably, you have to go back and reset all these cameras. Correct. That procedure can take longer than the alignment took. Uh, upwards of one or two hours. Right. So you may double or triple the price of a wheel alignment on the car with this system. Exactly. So not only do you have the components to worry about having to replace, but you are going to take a, a rudimentary repair and make it far more expensive. And so long as you understand this is on the air, you like it, you use it, you want it, that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. You just got to say, hey, it's going to cost me more money. Right. And, and you know, that's why vehicles in a, a minor front-end collision are costing upwards of seven, $8,000 to repair now. Yeah, just a little t- uh, just a tap on the front bumper. Sure. Or a grill or whatever. I know a lot of them have the forward-facing radar uh-huh. where it detects the vehicles in front of you. And if you bump that grill... It's usually plastic, and something gets out of kilter. You may have elected, well, I'll just live with that. It's just a little dent in my grill. Well, no, you can't live with it now because it's going to be applying the brakes when it shouldn't and not exactly. applying the brakes when it should and, and all that. So, Providing it still somewhat works. <laughs> well, it works at all. Yeah, and you know that that's one of the, the problems with the new technology. It just costs more to get to repair now. Well, it does, and I guess anytime you change something, there's going to be a cost involved, and as long as you're willing to pay that cost, then that's fine, but you can't get mad at the repair shop. <laughs> oh, exactly. When you come in, it costs a whole lot more because that's just the vehicle that you bought. Let's go to the line with Steve. Good morning, Steve. Yeah, I got a little problem you already answered, but I, it goes away, and I forgot what it, what the answer was. Okay. It's the 06 Silverado. Uh, you stop at the red light, and it starts blowing superheated air out of the air conditioning. Yeah, almost every time. Is that on the right side or the left side or, or both, or do you know? Both, I think. Well, I tell you what you what you do because normally it's going to be one side or the other, but the center vent and the one on the left, which is the only two you can really feel, is where it's going to go. If you yeah, reach yeah, way yeah. over to the other side and just see if that one's still cool, it's normally yeah. what they call the the blend door actuator. Now there is one on the right, there is one on the left, and technically they could both fail, but most of the time one or the other fails. And yeah. if it's still blowing cool on the right hand side, far right, you have to reach all the way over to the passenger side. But it's hot on your side, then it's usually going to be the actuator. Now, if both of them are blowing hot, it would more likely be something in the control panel itself commanding them both on. But it's going to be something in the system on the door. The way that works, it's not like in the old days where you had a cable you would slide over and it would move a door to make it hot or cold. There's two cores. You have a heater core and an evaporator core. They're both in the same case. And the same fan blows through them. So what this thing does, it moves a door, it's an electric motor that moves a door between those two to either duct the air through the air conditioner or duct it through the heater or any combination thereof. And that's right. how it operates. But if it malfunctions, if it loses the count so it doesn't know where it's at or if the motor doesn't move when it should or any of that, then you can start getting the hot air when you should be getting cool. You, uh, would a bad battery cause that? It could, yes. If the battery is bad and the voltage is dropping, even if it still starts the car, it can definitely yeah. confuse that. Because when you turn the car on, it's going to try to home those motors. It runs one to extreme, back to the other extreme, halfway, and it knows that's where all the positions are. And all that occurs right after you start. 
So let's say you're cranking the car and the voltage is dropping down to 10 volts. Well, that'll still crank the car just fine, but it's going to confuse the devil out of all the computers on there. So you can start yeah. getting all kind of weird stuff like that. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, I'm probably due for a battery. If you do for a battery, but, uh, change that yeah. first. Quit, uh, it only did it once, and that's what I say is it's aggravating when it does. Well, I would certainly change the battery first because you know you need that anyway, and that may clear the whole issue up. Because and it's definitely predicated on the voltage in the system. And check the battery cables very well. Because uh, that vehicle had a, I think that was the one with the negative cable yeah, that was the negative bad. cables where they crimp on. It was a really screwy design. What we do, we cut that end off. And we got a machine that'll crimp a different type of terminal on there that works much better. Because even if you go buy a new cable from Chevrolet, it's still the same old right, same design. Those give all kinds of electrical problems. Okay, well I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Thanks, Colin. Right, thank you. All right, we got to take our third quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Well, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Haldesan, president of ICO Automotive. Got the tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. Still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to get you some information. And before we went to our break, we were talking about lighting. Right. And we were talking about the GM vehicle. At certain miles an hour, the lighting would be 25 miles an hour. Right. Well, the 19 Lincoln Nautilus, which is their kind of top-of-the-line vehicle, it doesn't operate until 32 miles an hour. So technically, if you were driving that car, or if you're driving a Chevrolet and it came on at 25, and you get in your Lincoln and it doesn't come on at 32, you may assume something's wrong. Correct. But it's just the way that that particular system works. Mm -hmm. And the, the new 2019 Buick Cascada, which is a new body for GM, believe it's the Blazer body. If for GM and the Cascada body for Buick, which is the same vehicle, two different you know models like Bad. they always do, it has six different lighting strategies. Right. Depending on where you're at and what you're trying to do with the vehicle, it can go anywhere from what they have is they call one of them is called a corner lighting. Lighting. So if you're slower than 25 miles an hour, you turn the wheel to turn into a road or something. The corner light comes on. Well, they also have an system town lighting which operates below 34 miles an hour with the light sensor on the dash right they've got motorway lighting which is uh, speeds above 62 miles an hour there's country lighting which changes around 34 miles an hour and each one of these systems does something totally different right now if you are just driving the car 
and you see your lights, okay, well, now they're not as high as they were before, or now they're not as bright as what you can assume. Maybe something's wrong. Something's going on. So you have to be familiar with all six modes of this thing when right. you drive the car to realize that, What's, hey, this is just the car doing this. <laughs> exactly. And that's why the manual is three inches thick now. <laughs> you know, you've got to sit down and read it. You can't just assume, hey, this is how it works. Yeah. You've yeah. got to understand the dealerships are getting a lot of feedback from that because people understand that, hey, this vehicle's supposed to work this way. Right. Well, it doesn't. It's doing this now. So they end up back at the dealership for no reason. Yeah. And it's just a normal so way to operate the vehicle. Way it works. Somebody like myself, I find it more aggravating and, oh, and I helpful. Too. But I guess some people really like it, and that's why they come well, out with it. Or of course. They hope somebody will like it and buy the car. Right. Let's go to our phone line with Stuart. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, guys. My old uh, Koya Okay. The one in the back works. Is anything I can do before I bring it to the hospital? Well, check, Stuart. Push the button or get someone to sit in the car and push the button and make sure you don't have water dripping under the car when you push the button. Because okay. one fairly common problem is the hose will get dry rotted and crack. And so it's actually still pumping. It's pumping under the car. And the water just runs out as, instead of coming out of your uh, windshield. And something else that happens is those little nozzles will stop up. The pump will build up pressure and blow the hose off of the, the connection. Right. At, at a certain point, there's like three or four different connections between the pump and the actual where right. the water comes out. And as those little nozzles get older, they tend to build up some crud and stuff. So the pressure rises in the system. And at the same time, the elasticity of the hose drops off so it can pop them off. So I would push the button, raise the hood, see if you hear the motor running when you push the button. If you can hear the motor running and nothing's coming out, look and see if you see water coming out somewhere else because oh, hoses cause a lot of those problems. It'll be at the reservoir, wherever the washer reservoir is. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Many okay. times it's part of the reservoir. If not, it'll be very near the reservoir. Can't imagine a 16-year-old car without <laughs> They just don't build them like they used to, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and what you got, about 300,000 miles in that thing? At least, huh? 365 or something like there that. There you go. There you go. Well, it's a well-taken-care-of car. <laughs> well, thanks to you guys. Well. Anyway. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, Stuart. Thanks for all, man. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you got a question or comment, you just give us a call. Still got a few minutes left. And you know, we were talking about the 19 Cascada right. that Buick is coming out with. They also have what they call adaptive, adaptive forward lighting. Okay. Which means the lights of the vehicle, when you turn the steering wheel, the lights are going to turn in the direction of the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So it kind of moves the light into where you're trying to turn. Right. And those systems depend on the steering angle sensor, right? the vehicle speed, and the yaw rate. It needs to know how fast you're going, how much lean is in the vehicle, right. how fast you're trying to turn, and how far you're trying to turn. And right. it can actually turn the headlights inside of the fixtures to point in that direction. Right. So that means that little fixture is, is not a $200 part. Well, anymore. no, it just went from $200 <laughs> to about $2,000. Because now, instead of having a manual adjustment that you adjust the headlights, right. they put a motor on a it. stepper motor. That runs the plastic gears together. And a little computer. And, well, of course. To run it all. To run it all. <laughs> and, you know, you just took, like you say, a $200 repair and turned it into a $2,000 I remember repair. Infinity had a similar system where the headlights could follow the car. And most people who had the system did not even realize it was on there uh-huh. it really didn't do anything a whole lot noticeably better but that little headlight assembly was about close to three thousand dollars it was twenty eight hundred dollars something like that we had a guy come in and it would make a funny noise when he would turn, turn? yeah the little motor was making some noise and we had to end up replacing the headlight assembly and just yeah i've seen him actually strip the gears out and, well yeah and the older systems i haven't 
we haven't seen one of these yet, so I'm, I'm real curious. I've seen the technical data on it, and it, like I said, it looks like an electric motor or a little stepper motor that turns a, a couple plastic gears together. Right. So, and, you know, how long is that going to last? Corvette had that on the headlights where the headlights would go up yep. and down. And, of course, it would yep. work good for a while. And then, wham. It quit uh, working. Yeah, the headlights would stay down when you turn them on. Or uh, one would wouldn't one, go down. One, one up, would come one up. Down, yeah. Call like, them one-eyed bandits. Yeah, it looked like it was winking at you or something. So, yep. Yeah, all that kind of stuff is, is great if you want it, if you need it, if you're going to use it. But be aware that you're willing, it's on there when you buy it. <laughs> right, if you're willing to, to pay the price to have it fixed. Fixed and maintained. I see we're just about totally out of time. I want to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written view and fill it out for us, please. There you go. We sure appreciate that. It lets us know that we're doing a good job. It also moves us up in the rankings so that when people type in a generic term like auto repair, we're going to come out close to the top, which means more people are going to listen to the show. There you go. Also keeps us on the air. There you go. A hey, pre-proceeding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.